Acts chapter 8 this morning. I want to begin reading in verse 26. Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. The Bible says, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities, till he came to Caesarea. I remember... It was 1994, this particular summer. It was the first summer I had traveled with a college group. It was a men's quartet, and we traveled up and down the East Coast. We were in different churches every night for eight weeks. And uh, I was born and raised near Yadkinville, North Carolina, and it was the first time in my life that I had ever set foot in New York City. Uh, I understood very quickly why they say it's the city that never sleeps. A pastor's son took us in the downtown at midnight, and it was more busy there at midnight than I had ever seen any city in my life. And I remember walking through New York City and just seeing all kinds of things that I had never seen before, some bad and some good. But I still remember walking into a store. They didn't have stores like this in the small town that I was raised, but I'll never forget the name of it. The first time I walked into it, it was called Saks Fifth Avenue. And uh, listen, folks, I thought going to Walmart was a big deal when I was a kid, all right? And so we walk into Saks Fifth Avenue, and I was rather careless. I was just walking around, looking at items sort of carelessly, and I still remember picking up an item on a glass shelf, and I said, boy, that's really nice looking. And I flipped it upside down, and when I saw the price, it made me very nervous. I thought, this item's worth more than all of my possession and more. And I just... <laughs> Finally calmed myself enough to get it down. But I remember seeing the price tag on that object and it affected me. Years later, in 1999, I traveled with another group. We were out west. 
First time I had ever been out west, and I remember going to the city of San Francisco for the first time. And again, I saw some bad and I saw some good. But one of the things I'll never forget is my wife and I, we were walking down this area called Fisherman's Wharf. Our oldest son was two years old at the time, and we walked into a Thomas Kincaid gallery. He's called the Painter of Light. And uh, so we walk in there, and you know, I'd seen his stuff before. I thought it was pretty, pretty neat. I mean, I'm no art connoisseur, but I thought, you know, this is beautiful stuff. And I still remember taking my two-year-old son, having him by the hand. We're walking through there. We're looking at things. I saw a picture that was a beautiful lighthouse scene. At that time, my office was where Brother Metcalf's office is at, and I had a lighthouse theme that was in my office. And I looked at my wife. I said, you know, that'd be really nice to put on my wall. She said, yeah, it would. And now listen, this thing that I was looking at was not even an original painting. It's a copy. It's a certified copy, but it's a copy. It's not the original. And when I saw the picture, I saw the price tag on the frame of $3,000. My attitude changed dramatically. I looked at my wife. I said, honey, we'll go to Walmart and buy the calendar and just cut out every month's pictures and frame them and we'll come out a lot better. You know, have you ever seen something and you've been affected by the value of it, whether it is good or whether it is bad? Well, today I don't want to ask you about the picture or about the about the price of an item in Saks Fifth Avenue or the value of a painting that's in a Thomas Kincaid gallery. I want to ask you a question. What's the value of a soul? When is the last time that you personally have been affected by the value of a soul and so moved that you felt burdened to reach out to someone with the gospel? I'm well aware that here at the college there are requirements. We have Christian service requirements. But can I tell you, it's possible for you to go out for two hours and fulfill a task and not have a burden. And let me tell you, the next three weeks are going to reveal whether you do things out of obligation or you have a burden. When there are no CSRs, yet there's still people dying and going to hell. No longer in a bubble that encourages you to do right, and yet you're having to stand in a world that's teaching everyone to do wrong. I want to show you an instance of a man who's dear to my heart. Philip was an evangelist, but Philip had a burden. Philip saw the value of a human soul and God used him in a great way to reach out to the Ethiopian eunuch and see him saved. And I pray to God that all of us will have that same burden and that all of us will see the value of a soul, that our hearts should be moved when we see the value of that soul for which Christ died and we'd be moved to do something about it. So as we go through the narrative this morning, the first thing I want you to see is I want you to see the eunuch's reputation. There are two characters mainly in this story, the Ethiopian eunuch and then you have Philip. Now, we'll talk about Philip here in just a moment, but let me introduce you to this Ethiopian eunuch. Notice in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, 
and go toward the south into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Now, in verse 27, through the following verses, this, this is the only biographical sketch that you're going to get of the Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 27, And he arose and went, behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. So I want you to see this man that Philip is reaching. He's the Ethiopian eunuch, and when Philip gives him the gospel, there are three barriers that he has to cross in order to do it. And let me tell you something, young people. I believe it's just as important that we cross these three barriers today as Philip did 2,000 years ago. When Philip reached this Ethiopian eunuch, the first barrier he had to cross was a racial barrier. Here's a man from the different part of the world, a man whose skin color is different. And yet he crossed this racial barrier. He looks and and he is not hindered one bit. This man's not like me. Let me just tell you, I'm glad we're not all like each other. It'd be a boring world, wouldn't it? And yet we see that here Philip, he has no, no... He has no inhibition whatsoever. And let me just say this, and I think it ought to be said in pulpits today, even though we think that this is long gone. Let me tell you, racism is probably today still one of the greatest hindrances to the gospel. I'd like to tell some people, listen, you're going to go into shock when we all get to heaven and there's a large choir and they're assembled from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. So why not get busy with the gospel and let's get along now? But he crossed a racial barrier. And I hope, I hope there's not a single person. I don't care the shade of your skin. I don't care your ethnic background. Listen to me. I hope that wherever you're from, whatever your background is, is that you will leave this place firmly persuaded that the gospel is for all. But not only did he cross a racial barrier, the second thing that he crossed is he crossed a social barrier. You know, this man had a status of living that I'm sure was a little bit different from Philip. The Bible tells us that he was a man of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had chariots. This man was loaded financially. This man had authority. This man had what the world would say is what you need. You need authority and you need lots of money. You have those two things and that's great. Have you ever been intimidated when you talk to people that are in a sort of a different social class than you are? I I still remember my introduction to social classes. I was raised really in a poor home. In elementary school, I thought everybody was poor until I got to junior high. I got to junior high and there were kids from the country club on the other side of the county that went. And I'm going to tell you what, I was wearing hand-me-downs as an only child. Do you understand that? It's when you get clothes from your cousins. Male and female. I still remember wearing a pair of shoes that that one of my cousins, she was a basketball player and I was wearing her shoes. I was like, that was it. That's what you had. 
And then all of a sudden, man, you're introduced to the other side of the county and you see these people and you're like, man, they buy that stuff new out of the stores. And that's not a bad thing. It just wasn't the way that I was raised. But I'm going to tell you, I was so intimidated. I mean, I just wanted to walk into school. My shoulders slumped, be like, hello, just sit down, leave me alone. I don't want to talk about that. But you know, there, there is this social barrier that many times that we feel. But can I encourage you, whether a person is rich or whether they're poor, listen to me, the gospel's for all. You see a man and he's dressed in an executive $900 or maybe $1,000 suit, and maybe that's cheap by his means, but without Jesus Christ, what does he really have? Here, this eunuch, man, he's got chariots. He's driving the Lexus of his day. And yet, you know what? Philip didn't see a rich man. He didn't see a politician. You know what Philip saw? Philip saw a soul. And it's time for us to start looking that way. He crossed a racial barrier. He crossed a social barrier. But it's interesting, he also crossed a religious barrier. Look at the end of verse 27. Who had charge of all of her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to smoke pot. No. Had come to Jerusalem to what? To worship. I know I'm fully aware that this Ethiopian eunuch was probably a proselyte Jew. And so as a result, he's serving a religion that's Christless. I understand that. But I'm going to tell you, here in America today, there are tons of people enslaved by religion. And you say, well, they go to church. Well, I'm going to tell you what, that, you know, that can be good in society, but church, that's an awful big tent nowadays. If somebody tells me they go to church, that either creates fear in me or comfort. If they're coming from a Bible preaching church, I at least know they're regularly exposed to the gospel. If they're going to a liberal church that never preaches the gospel and is more dictated by culture than the Bible, I'm scared to death because they'll march right into hell with the grave clothes of religion and think the entire time that they're okay. I would dare say there's more religious confusion in this country today than ever before, but yet there seems to be a greater apathy among those of us who know the truth. I want to challenge every one of you over the Christmas break to cross the racial barrier, to cross the social barrier, to cross the religious barrier, and get the gospel out. But not only do you see the eunuch's reputation, second of all, you see the saint's readiness. You know, I think that this idea of looking at Philip, I think we ought to really look long and hard at this. Long before there were ever CSRs. Long before gospel tracts had ever been printed. Listen to me. There was a man who was tender and sensitive to the Spirit of God. You know, I'm impressed with Philip. Do you know where Philip was at before this ever happened? He was preaching in the cities of Samaria and Philip was seeing people saved. Now, can I just tell you something? If you're a preacher and you're seeing people saved, that's like being a basketball player and hitting 23-pointers in a row in one game. Don't take me off the court. 
I could shoot with my eyes closed. This is wonderful. I mean, it's just just on. And it's right in the middle of that action that God says, Philip, I want you to leave there and I want you to go out in this wilderness. Now, I'm going to tell you what. Had I been Philip, I'd have said, but, 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 but. It's really happening here, Lord. But the Bible just says he arose and went. Listen to me, you can have all kinds of knowledge in your head, but if you don't have obedience and you don't have the determination to be sensitive to the Spirit of God, you're not going to accomplish much. And so then notice what Philip does in verse 28, or verse 29. It says, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Here's one of those moments. You want to talk about crossing a social barrier? God says... The Spirit says, go over to those chariots, that rich man over there, and give him the gospel. I remember before I ever came to college, and by the way, next semester in January, you're going to hear my home pastor, the pastor that I was saved under, a mountain preacher, godly man, a student of the Word. He's going to come and preach in chapel in January, but I'll never forget, he's the one who taught me how to be a soul winner. I didn't learn that in personal evangelism class. I learned that under his ministry and his hip pocket as a teenager. And he had a real way of just taking us alongside and mentoring us. And I remember one day we were in the Baptist Hospital in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And, uh, you know, he'd been teaching us about passing out tracts. Here we are, we are in an elevator, and it's preacher and myself and two doctors wearing those long coats step in, step in with the stethoscopes around their necks. And we're just standing there, and I'll never forget, preacher looked at me and he went, And on the inside, I was going. (laughs) And he looked at me again. He's like. And I still remember. I remember taking out gospel tracts. I was probably probably like this, you know. And I gave them to those men, you know. But but I'm going to tell you what. I felt like it was a real teaching tool for me. Because first of all, it taught me just how much pride I had myself. Here I have the greatest gift and I'm unwilling to share it. And it taught me to step out of my comfort zone. For some of you, listen to me, you need to stop listening to what Brother Clements has told you for the last 16 weeks in personal evangelism. Stop listening and start doing it. But do listen to the last 16 weeks. (laughs) But that class is done. So he goes near to this chariot. You know, I'm impressed... With Philip's obedience, he was guided by the Spirit of God. Let me ask you a question. This is an experiential question, but every one of you ought to think about it. When is the last time, or let me just back up. Have you ever had a moment in your life where God impressed upon you to give the gospel to someone? Now I'm starting very basic. Because there may be some view, and you'd say, Brother Beal, I'm going to tell you what. I've never experienced that before. Listen to me. I think if you're following Jesus, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. If you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to experience that. 
Now, with that being said, when's the last time you felt like your heart had been prompted to give the gospel to a specific individual? There may be some of you and you'd say, you know what, I had that happen this semester and I've failed miserably. I wish I could tell you I'm batting a thousand. I'm not, but I'll tell you, with every passing week, I want to learn and realize more and more that when I shun the opportunity to give the gospel, when God impresses it upon my heart, I have lost sight of the value of a human soul. But the Spirit of the Lord says, Philip, go near to that chariot. And the Bible says in verse number 30, And Philip ran thither to him. I'll be honest, what I'm about to say is speculation, but I do think it's somewhat significant that he didn't walk. I'm, he ran. Maybe he ran because this chariot is pulling away. Maybe he ran because he saw the urgency of the hour. But it sure does my heart good to see somebody enthusiastic about doing something for the Lord. You think about what you run to. Volleyball game, 7 o'clock. $1.50 iced coffees in the bookstore. Pizza! Listen, I, I, it's okay to run to all that. The coffee I don't get. I don't run to coffee. I run away from it. But let me tell you something. Is there anything wrong with running to win people to Christ? You know, in a Bible college, it's something that we can't just put in a microwave or add water and mix. But you know, it'd be nice as we gain in our burden for our souls where there's a positive pressure. I'm not talking about some pious, pharisaical pressure. Well, let's go and pass out tracts for four hours today so that we can be known as great people. But I wonder what would happen if you went soul winning on Saturday and God forbid you went for three hours instead of two because you wanted to. You know, people are like, why do you say two hours? Because if we didn't say two hours, you'd say 15 minutes, you know. So yes, we quantify it. But what would happen if on a non-visitation night, somebody said, you know what, there's somebody that I work with or there's somebody that I'm burdened about, let's go see them. Being guided by the Spirit of God, Philip ran in obedience. Number two, the saints' readiness. Number three, I want you to see the eunuch's request. At the end of the verse, verse 30, he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? This man's reading the Bible. And the eunuch said, How can I except some man should guide me? You see, everybody's born with a problem. What is that problem? It's this. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, The natural man doesn't understand the, spirit, the things of God. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 tells us that the devil has blinded the minds of them that are lost. 
There's obstacles out there that are to be overcome. The nature of man, the opposition of the devil. Listen, the devil is blinding people. Men, the natural man, doesn't want to know about God. But yet the eunuch says, how can I except some man should guide me? You know, one of the most thrilling testimonies I hear in this school is when a student stands before on a testimony day or in a dorm devotion and says, I led my first soul to Christ. I don't sit there and say, well, it's about time. Because you know what? I knew what it was like to be a freshman and to be put into an environment where I'm like, okay, boy. And, and I still remember one time as I was a member at Emmanuel Baptist Church in Kings Mountain my freshman year, having the opportunity to lead a child to Christ. I'm going to tell you what, that was invigorating. But what do you do? You, you point them to this book. Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, how can I except some man should guide me? And then he's reading a passage from Isaiah 53 and the wonderful things it's about to cross. Hey, I want every young man who's a preacher to look, look me in the eye. Let me tell you something. You ought to strive to be an expert in the cross. Know it up one side and down the other. Know every nail. Know every splinter. Know every occurrence because all of your life you're going to need to preach it. You know, Philip, apparently, he must have been a good student of the Scripture. He didn't say, well, I'll tell you what, let me ask Dr. Lucan. I don't know where this is at. That's Old Testament. I, you know, I, that's not, that doesn't count. That's what some people say. No, apparently, Philip was very familiar with the Bible. And I mean, the Bible says that as this, as this man reads this, he talks about Isaiah 53, the Bible says that Philip preached unto him what? Jesus. You know, there's a lot of things right now going on in this country. Uh, arguing about supporting Ukraine. Is the president's son doing illegal things and the president's involved in it? Is the guy who's going to be running for president, is he even going to be out of jail to be the president? I mean, I'll just be honest. It's just like a mess and everybody in this room's got an opinion. But I'm going to tell you one thing. If you can go out of here and go home over the break and you preach Jesus, that'll make a lot greater difference than any of that other stuff. It's not that I'm not interested in political things. It's not that I don't have an interest in it. But ultimately, I'm going to tell you the greatest goal is preaching Jesus because when you preach Jesus and liars get saved, they stop lying. When people get saved, they start paying their taxes. When people get saved, they stop calling people bad names and deriding them all the time. Preach Jesus. That's exactly what Philip did. When you leave this place and you go over the break, I hope that you will guide somebody and that you'll preach to them Jesus. But the last thing that I want you to see are the story's results. Verse 36, And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, is water. here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Now, I will say this. Uh, 
you know, the liberal preacher would have said, well, not a thing, man. Let's get you into baptistry, join the church, get you given every once in a while, and man, welcome to the club. But you know, Philip, Philip was a student of the Bible. He said, you know, uh, before you start talking about baptism, there's something else you need to start talking about. I just love it when you take the, value, the Bible at plain value. Take that religious tradition that's just been ushered. You know, a lot of times people, they, they kill me for being a traditionalist. And I look at them and I say, well, man, some of your... Uh, oh, man, some of your ceremonies are so... You, you don't talk about tradition, you got me beat. You, you talk about Augustine and everything. I was like, you, you got me hammered. I mean, you, that, that's a crazy tradition. We baptize our children as a sign of entering into the cup. Listen, people can do that and they talk. But I look at this. Philip gets this man saved first, then baptized. It's as plain as day. It's as plain as the four fingers on my left hand. You may say, well, I, you just, I, listen, I'm just telling you, it's amazing. How can you depart from the obvious? He says, what does hinder me to be baptized? And then verse 37, which this is a controversial verse. You open up most of your modern versions, verse 37 is missing. Somebody asked me, I said, why do you use the Bible that you use? I say, it's very simple. I want all the words. That may be an oversimplification, but I'm just telling you, that's, that's part of it. And in verse 37, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know, you see the results of this story. I wish that every time you shared the gospel, it ended like this, but it doesn't. There'll be times you share the gospel and you'll leave heartbroken and you may even leave crying. But I'll tell you, it sure is nice when the story ends well. You know, the greatest result of this story is, first of all, this Ethiopian eunuch is saved. When Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest, let me tell you, that wasn't just some rote, empty prayer. It wasn't just saying, I believe in God like I believe in George Washington. Now let me tell you something. When he said, I believe that Jesus Christ, listen to me, is the Son of God, for a proselyte Jew, that was a mouthful. <laughs> if I could tell you, it's like Philip said, all of my eggs are in that basket because He is the Messiah and He's the only one that can save me. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And at that moment, He was saved. You know, I'm glad the moment that you called on the Lord, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm glad for that. But you know, not only was salvation a great result, you know, the next great result is in verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. I know there are different religious traditions today. I've just never heard of a Methodist who went down into the water with his congregant to baptize him. He might do this and pour it in his hand and sprinkle. 
we had a professor, Dr. Bond. He's with the Lord now, but when he was uh, right out of college, he was preaching in a Methodist church. He said he was younger and didn't know any better, but while he was preaching, he reached down and he grabbed the cup and he drank it. He said, I didn't know I drank the baptistry. But I will say they both went down into the water and he baptized him. It was by immersion. And I say that dogmatically, unapologetically. Let me ask you a question. Have you been baptized by immersion after your salvation? One year I had a dorm mate. And you know when he got baptized? When he was in Bible college. He swallowed his pride and he said, you know what, I didn't get baptized after I got saved. And he got baptized and Dr. Surrett baptized him. I'll never forget it. First time I'd ever seen somebody baptized in those robes. You know, back home we just sort of you know, wore dark clothes and got in there and they dunked us. And, but you know, I was like, boy, that's unique. I'd never seen that before. But yeah, baptized him. While he was in college. You know, that's a great thing when you publicly identify that you are His. Salvation. Baptism. But let me show you the last result. Verse 39, And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Somebody asked me, they said, well, who was rejoicing, Philip or the eunuch? Well, I'll just tell you this. I think probably both of them were pretty happy at this point. Let me tell you something. If you're here and you've ever led a soul to Christ, you tell me of any other joy you've had in your spiritual life that rivals that. Wait till you have children. You know, we men, we have it easy. The wife's the one. You walk out of the room and you're just like... "Ah!" This is great. The wife feels that way too, but she's wore out. But you know, there's something about it. It's like, man, to see a child come into the world, listen to me, to see somebody born again, it ought to thrill the heart of a believer. But I can't help but think the eunuch had to be pretty happy himself. Why? He'd found the truth. He'd found the way. Now I want to ask you a question. When you leave here, are you going to be a Philip? Are you going to be a carnal Christian unconcerned about the souls of men and self-absorbed? You know, the truth is, there are some of you in this room, you know why you're here? Because you had a Philip. There was a little boy who was raised in North Carolina and a church van pulled up in his yard on a Saturday and they asked that little boy to go to church. Little boy, he said, yeah, sure, I'll go to church. And they took that boy to church for two years. He heard the gospel preached, then he got saved. Three years later, riding that church van, he would surrender his life to the Lord. Two years later, he would surrender to the call to preach. And you know what? He's standing before you this morning. You know why? Because I had four Phillips. They had less Bible education than you did than you do as far as formal training but they probably had more heart than most of us I 
I'll forever be grateful for C.W. Plowman. Listen, guys, whenever you start talking about how much you work in school and how hard it is, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. You sit at church on Sunday. You go watch that man over there who's there on Sunday morning who works third shift and works 60 hours a week. C.W. would often work overtime, even work on Saturdays sometimes. And you know what? He would still pick me up every Sunday morning in that church van. He was a big fella. You didn't dare mess with him except you knew that he had the heart of a teddy bear. So, but I mean, I'm telling you, he was a strapping man. But I'm going to tell you, C.W. is one of my Phillips. And he, I'll, I'll for, I will go to my grave forever grateful for him. Gene Thacker. Gene would often ride in the, on the passenger side. And he was the guy who just... His, you know, some people have a bad resting face. I was just talking to my wife this morning. I said, this person doesn't look happy. And she said, well, maybe they have a bad resting face. And I have. I've seen some people. It's just like... But Gene was the total opposite. Anytime you see him, he's just like this. And he was as genuine as they come. You know, I could come out of a tumultuous weekend, having a rotten weekend, get in that van on Sunday morning, and Gene would look at me and he'd say, Hey, man, it's good to see you today. How you doing? Oh, you don't want to know. Well, it's only going to get better. We're going to church. Hey, I'm glad you're here. <laughs> but I'll never forget him. Another man was Charles Feltz. Charles Feltz, now for some of you, you're like, well, I'm very quiet. I'm very reserved. Well, that was Charles Feltz. He wasn't the life of the party. You know, there's some of you, you're the life of the party. You walk into the commons and it's like, no, we don't need to ask. We can hear them. They're here. (laughs) But Charles Feltz, he was the kind of guy, whenever he'd go on bus visitation, he wouldn't say very much, but he'd be like the kind of guy who, while the other guy's talking, he'd let the dog eat him so that the other guy could talk and (laughs) things like that. I mean, very, very just level and unassuming And you know what? When God called me to preach and I went off to Bible college, that man gave me a check to help me go to Bible school. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to forever be grateful because he would give up his Saturdays after working a big job, I think, with AT&T was who he worked for. And he'd go out on Saturdays with Tootsie Rolls and Tootsie Pops and leave them at the doors of people wherever they weren't there. And even if we were there, then he would hand them to us. And he would give his time to reach people with the gospel. And then the last man I mentioned is Harold England. Harold England was a truck driver. And before the internet was ever known, this man would figure out object lessons to teach kids the gospel in junior church on Sunday mornings. Do you know where I learned about the omniscience and the omnipotence of God? I didn't learn about that in the systematic theology from Ernest Childs. You know where I learned that from? Junior church. You say, that's awful complicated. Well, it's not when they put the cookies down on the shelf where you can understand it. Harold England would be the kind of guy after church when we were waiting for the adult service to get out. He always wore cowboy boots. And he would say to, he'd say to us, he'd say, and you know, when you're a kid, anybody over 30 is old. And Harold England, he'd be like with those cowboy boots with the pointed toes. He'd be like, I'll race you to that light pole and back. I mean, a 40-year-old ancient man. And we'd be like, and then every time he'd beat us. 
when he'd be preaching in junior church, when we'd be misbehaving, he'd take those boots and he'd say, You see that, boys? He never laid a hand on us. Didn't have to. Now, let me tell you what all four of those guys have in common. Let me tell you what they don't have in common. They are not multi-million dollar athletes. They were not Bible college students. That's not to say they're not students of the Word. You can be a Bible college student and not be a student of the Word. But I'll tell you what, every one of those men saw the value of a human soul. And I'll go to my grave grateful for the change that was wrought in my life. And God can use you just like He used a C.W. Plowman, a Charles Feltz, a Harold England, or a Gene Thacker if you'll see the value of a human soul. Let's bow our heads together in prayer.